Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, joined today by Joe Thomas, Gav Buckland and Chris Beasley as we look back on what has become a pretty momentous day in the history of Everton Football Club. Joe, we'll get straight into it because it's breaking news. We like breaking news at the Echo. Around 10am this morning, it was confirmed that Farhad Mashiri struck a deal with 7-7 partners to acquire his whole stake in the club. As we sit here right now inside the Echo office, what are your thoughts? at full stake, the full 94.1% shareholding that you know, Mr. Mashiri has had for, for, for so long and you know, has enabled him to sit above Everton over the past you know, six, seven years and, and oversee a period in which I don't think anyone can question that he's put his money into the club, but obviously on the pitch, you know, the club has gone backwards. Off the pitch, you know, the regime has become increasingly tumultuous. Everton surrounded by Jesus, Sean Deitch word noise. Um, <laughs> and that's going to continue. Uh, yeah. and it's going to continue for the next three or four months at the very, very least. Um, as just part of the natural cycle now that now that the 777 deal goes through the, you know, the regulatory process, Premier League, FA, FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority. The FA one is mainly just a feeder into the Premier League one. So that's, there's not really a, a separate set of tests that they have to kind of overcome there. But it's, it's going to be a fascinating period, a really interesting period because, you know, obviously 777 have a big portfolio of clubs that, that go across the world, but they're also relatively new to this marketplace. Think about I think the company set up in 2015. First foray into football was severe 2018. And in really 2022 that they kind of started their expansion. And now all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they come to the Premier League and they come into Everton. And, you know, I mean, we're going to talk about it a lot now, but obviously... You know, I think that's going to be cause some concern to people, some fear, some hope that, you know, I think we have to recognise that for you know, quite a long period of time now, certainly for the vast majority of this year, you know, there's probably been an acceptance, acknowledgement from within the fan base that Fire Machine might not be the right person to lead this club forward. But obviously that only takes you half way there you know it's one thing getting somebody else in and the other thing is who are those other people um and i think you know scrutiny just simply has to be applied to them by us by fans by the regulatory bodies and that as well um it's going to be an interesting few months chris you were sat alongside me in the office this morning when we got wind or we got confirmation that yeah. this news was coming through even though this has probably been coming in many ways given far as machine search for investments in the club and you know, it's felt for a long time like no no kind of option was off the table in terms of what he might accept, even though it looked for large parts like he was going to sell a stake in the club, not his whole stake. Yeah. Even when it dropped all this morning, there was still some shock and some some um, disbelief, I think, that this is actually going to happen now that Farhad Mashiri will no longer yeah. control Everton Football Club. Yeah, certainly, like you say, that the speed of it and the fact that obviously a, a full takeover now after spending most of the summer... Um, Courting um, a partial uh, investment part into into the club, but yeah, it it's it moved it's moved along a, a pace, and uh, people have said you know it could still take several weeks. Um, I mean that th- there's hope from both parties there be done from their point of view um, by the end of the fourth quarter, the end of this calendar year, to actually complete um, the takeover of, of, of the club. But yeah, there there are, there are major concerns, and it, it's it's it, it's not coming necessarily. From people from from Everton who, who know we, we don't know um, uh, everyone here, one, and I'm sure uh, everyone at Seven 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 will be hoping in uh, once they can usher in a, a brighter future for the club. And uh, you know, with the move to the new stadium, club been looking backwards for too long. Actually, look forward to a brighter tomorrow. But there are major concerns 
over the over clubs which they, they, they've been involved in as Joe said they've been recent to the football and market this multi-club model there's a few of those out there across world mm-hmm. football theirs hasn't been particularly successful um, on the one hand they have taken on ailing football clubs teams who maybe like Everton have got that illustrious history but are struggling in recent times both on and off the pitch and try to turn them down turn them around but Fan protests at Standard Liège, the piece about that. We've got the piece coming up later. Vasco da Gama protests there. They've been great. They've been good at um, making bold promises and uh, um, telling these teams uh, what they're going to do and have these grandiose ideas. But then actually following it, that, that up with investment, certainly on the pitch, it seems that they've invested money on the day-to-day uh, running of these football clubs. But in terms of um, on squad building, it's been found lacking in... Um, a lot of the teams are struggling on the pitch who, who they've taken over and we know with Everton there's no rigor room left in that mm. um, point um, at one point you know one goal off relegation last season and obviously we're still waiting for the first win of this season um, there's not really much scope for, for Everton to sort of take one step backwards before they go two steps forward so there are major concerns uh, with this group you know we'd love to be sat here telling you oh yeah that's it's, it's great there's a real sort of buzzer around the city but I think there is a there's a lot of concern over this group we will come on to the concerns and, and where you know people's opinions may lie on this deal but Gav just stick with kind of Farhad Mashiri and, and the initial you know takeover deal possibly going to happen yeah. so obviously it's not gone through yet but it looks like you know all parties are hoping that we'll go through. Are you shocked that he's selling his whole stake in the club? Did you think that maybe he might have hung on to at least some sort of stake until the club moved to Bramley Mordock and then looked to sell up, given Everton would then be a better proposition to, to, to investors because of the, the, the position they would then be in with the new stadium? Yeah, he has said relatively recently that the club's not for sale, hasn't he? Really? And the indication is he said he could fund the rest of the stadium. So mm-hmm. I think. Maybe something's moved moved in his world in terms of his finances, which you know have been sort of somewhat compromised by the you know obviously the, the the war in Ukraine. So I'm just thinking that from his perspective, there's a possible funding issue for the stage, and that may, he might have to you know bail out. That there's obviously the running cost of the club as, as the major shareholder and owner that he might have to assist with. I'm, I'm sure the, the the failure of to get the MSP deal over the line in terms of the mm. you know the the, the shareholding and pumping money into the you know possibly into you know working capital into a club was also a blow to him and I'm sure that possibly those two things are, are interlinked for me. So he's just thinking I, I need to cut my losses now because I I, I I suppose as I'm rich possibly I can't afford the you know you know the commitment to the club for the next what 18 months something like that. Um, and what happens if we go down? And um, I think that, that it's moved quite quickly in it, with that regards. I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm sure. I'm sure the failure to get the MSP deal and, and the stuff with the rights of media funding has, has, has come into this really. And that's well, changed, you, you often say, it. don't you? Years ago, you know, you couldn't be a billionaire on a football, a millionaire and be on a football club, and now it's probably an argument that you can't quite be a, a small billionaire and on a football club. No, no, exactly. As mad as, as mad as that sounds. You, you, refer, you refer to that this morning where you played, you played sort of as much as a. I'm trying to be kind to him here, really, by say playing the victim card or something like that. But being an owner benefactor, single owner benefactor in football at the top table is no longer enough, isn't it? Yeah. You need to be an equity fund, you need to be a nation state, you know, and that type of stuff. I sort of get that to a degree. But that doesn't excuse what wealth he's put into Everton has been largely wasted for, for lots of different reasons. So, yeah, it was. it's funny. 
Um, but that that what he says there opens a whole load of risks, doesn't it? We all know the problems with nation states. We all know the problems with equity funds and private investment into football clubs. The multi-club model that we spoke spoken about. So we're just moving from what one issue to another but yeah that's moved quite quickly uh, the whole thing you know, it was poo-pooed on Wednesday that was the general consensus wasn't it that actually mm-hmm. maybe he's just testing the market by saying he's talking to 777 I don't think anybody expected within 48 hours it'll be a it'll be a done deal for me obviously got to go through all the regulatory stuff which would be interesting won't it but yeah I'm surprised I'm surprised about the time but you could imagine as well things move rather quickly with his finances at the moment Joe in terms of He's touched on it there before in terms of standard liaison, Vasco de Gama in Brazil, and we've seen you know, Genoa fans not being very happy. And there's a lot of talk and a lot of noise, to use the, the word Sean Dice likes to use, around 7 7 and how they run football clubs and how the fans of them football clubs are not very impressed with what they're being served up, should we say, from an ownership. When you look at that and you understand and you, you see what them fans are saying, you can understand why so many Everton fans sitting here right now or sitting at home or wherever they may be in the world are concerned about what's going to happen next. I think, for me, probably the most concerning line of, of everything that was released earlier on today, or the line that stood out to me probably most, is is the final one from, from 777, that they're not going to be commenting whilst this whilst this process, whilst this regulatory scrutiny happens. And, and I think that that's, um, if they hold true to that, I think that that's a big gamble from them. Um, and I, if they hold true to it, it's something that would disappoint me greatly. I think, you know, we, you know, if, if you want to try and give people the benefit of the doubt, I'm sure 777, I'm sure people at Everton who support this deal would want us to stand here and say, look, these people deserve the benefit of the doubt. Judge them from their actions once they come in. The reality is Everton's too important to hand a blank check to somebody to come mm-hmm. and you know, take reins of the club and, and decide it's future. Not just important to Everton fans, but important to the city of Liverpool and so important to Merseyside. You know, even from a regenerative perspective, if you look at the importance of of the new stadium development to, to the whole of, of, of the North West, it's, it's, it's absolutely huge. And the problem is that if they're not willing to come out and state their case for why they would be good owners of, of this football club, then all that's going to happen is people like ourselves, people like supporters, they're going to look around, they're going to see, well, well, what do we know about them? What can mm. we find out about them? And the sad reality is that if you look around the, if you look around the world, 90%, probably most of the stories are negative around mm. 777 so far. You know, Now, we spoke about kind of a lot of their investment has been recent. Yeah, they don't have a, a long track record whereby you can judge whether or not their model works or not. And I think we have to understand and we have to you know, show an acknowledgement that most of the places that they've gone into were in trouble before they took over. But when you look at those clubs, there's been no imminent turnaround there hasn't in many of them the cases there hasn't even been a stalling of the initial decline and that's problematic you know you look at standard the age well they finished you know, one of belgium's most storied clubs they finished sixth last season incredibly disappointed with that currently start of this season they're 14th they're second from bottom in the belgian league and their fans are holding anti-77 protests at games unfurling banners on them you look at vasco da gama they went down from brazilian Serie A. they went straight back up all right you know f- fair play 
currently operating in the relegation zone, five points from safety, halfway through you know the the Brazilian Serie A league. You look at Melbourne victory year before 7-7 came on board they finished second first year that 7-7 involved they finished second from bottom you know you look at um severe severe being the team that they've been involved in since 2018 and, and they have a minority stake in severe and severe is a bit harder to judge and you know if we're going to be critical of them in other places you say well first few years they they finished fourth uh, and during the five year spell they've added two europa leagues mm. you know okay fair enough but last season again you got severe one of the kind of you know, one of one of the the major players in in Spain and in European football. You know, five Europa leagues they've had in in the past, you know, however, you know, decade or so. And you know, they're a side that were in a relegation battle for most of last season, and they started this season with three defeats. They're sitting twentieth in the league. You know, room. You know, reportedly their whole squad up for sale, having just won a Europa League and having just qualified for Champions League this season. Through that, obviously, that's going to bring money into the club. And yet you're still looking at something that's performing poorly on the pitch. And they, they've lost their first three games in La Liga. They haven't lost, you know, they haven't had a, a bad run of luck with the fixture list and played yeah. Barcelona, Atletico and uh, Real. You know, they've, they've played Girona, they've played you know, others. Yeah. Now, positive side, you, 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 you go look at Red Star in Paris, they're top of their league, the third tier in, in, in France. And you look at Gen- uh, Genoa, who got promoted last season from Serie B into Serie A, then mid-table after three games. So, you know, there, there are kind of outliers within them. But... The track record so far seems to be one of, you know, quite often it's quite often it goes backwards before it goes forwards. It mm. seems at the clubs that they're at, and quite often, you know, whether it be Vasco da Gama, whether it be Standard Liège, you, you have fan protests. Look at Hertha Berlin, relegated. Seven 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 only came in the back end of last season. They can't be held responsible for Hertha Berlin's relegation from the Bundesliga last season. But after a summer where there's clearly a club that needs a decline arrested, after five games. The second from bottom of the second tier in Germany yeah. now after five, you know, which is again troubling. I think the the concern for me is is Everton can't afford to take one step backwards to then try and go two steps forward, because as Chris mentioned it, they were one goal away from relegation to the Championship last yeah. season. They came so close the season before. They started this season you know, four games without a win so far. Arsenal's going to be very difficult. Brentford's going to be very difficult. You know, Luton is the first obvious kind of... Luton's the first game Evan will go into as favourites in this second you know, yeah, round yeah, of yeah. round of fixtures. And, and even beating them at home so just isn't, isn't going to be enough to stay in the Of course league, not. You know, they then probably have to follow that by beating Bournemouth. Yeah. And that's just to kind of make up the lost ground from having already mm. not beaten Fulham and Wolves at home and not, you know, beating Sheffield United uh, away from home. And I think the my concern is is probably that w- w- with Everton is that the gap between the Premier League and the Championship is probably a bigger gulf than in any other two professional leagues in the whole of world football. Mm. And if you've got a, an organisation that takes over Everton that doesn't necessarily have sums of money or the know-how to kind of address the problems initially, then then that relegation could become very very difficult to to deal with for, for, for Everton. Um, and you look at the timing of this and you know it comes in with Everton having not won a game this season. Now, they're hopeful that they can pass all of the tests and they're hopeful they can get this done before Christmas, but it's probably going to be tight. Yeah. Um, you know, it's probably going to be tight. And then you look at it and you think, well, you know, what if it drags on into January? And what if Everton is still struggling? Who makes decisions over Sean Dyche? You know, how, how does that happen? Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully Everton are mid-table by then. Everything's brilliant. You know, if they get to January in the bottom three and nothing's quite completed yet, 
well, who makes decisions over the January transfer market? Because mm-hmm. it may well be that Everton need some sort of money being pumped into them. As Chris says, they don't have a history of investing within playing squads. And, you know, all right, obviously you need huge amounts of money to come into football these days. But these are just some of the concerns that we're looking at. And having such a small kind of amount of evidence or a lot of evidence but over a small time frame to try and judge 777 by... There are more questions than answers. There are more concerns, I think, than reassurances. And that doesn't mean to say that they're necessarily going to be bad owners or unsuccessful owners or they're not going to spend in January. You know, that doesn't mean that at all. But if they're not willing to come out and state their case for that and speak to fans and say, this is what our plans, this is why you can be reassured, this is why you're not going to have four months of sleepless nights if the results aren't, you know, as good as we want them to be on the pitch. If they don't do that, then there isn't anywhere else for... You know, most of the stories are negative and, and that's only going to cause more fear, more concern, more worry, more stress uh, amongst the Everton fan base over, you know, three or four of the biggest months in its history. Chris, John makes some excellent points there. And is, is the big issue in all this if 7-7 don't come out and tell everyone why they can be good owners and be a good thing for Everton Football Club, how can anyone else justify and make a, a, a reason or a campaign why they can be good, good owners and, yeah. and take Everton in the right direction. Yeah, they, they have to because otherwise someone else will fill that void. And you know, I was speaking yesterday to somebody before the deal obviously was announced this morning and uh, it was just a, a former professional footballer who told me, it was based in the US, who said uh, they'd been warned some months ago about 777s to be very careful about them. Um, said they, they, uh, they dump the money and they promote the asset and... It's 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 concerning. I mean, personally, I'm not a fan of the multi. I know Farhad Mashiri has, has come out, like as Gaff said, and made his excuses. But I'm not a, I'm not a fan per se of the the multi club um, model. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you could say that obviously there there are better examples of it, and I think that there was one in in, in the uh, in the um, the Belgian league there and uh, Botafogo as well as the the guy. Um, Crystal um, Palace, I'm trying to remember um, his name. Um, um, but um, he's got Botafogo, top, top of the league there in, in Brazil, and he, he's got similar sort of portfolio to 777, but he's doing better with it. So whether you're a fan of it or not, and I'm not particularly one, because I think that for better or for worse, I think Everton's actually a very unique um, club, and um, I, I wouldn't like the idea in, in, than being just part of one of various parts of this this jigsaw on, on a multi-club basis but yeah so it's up to them you know with so many question marks on them not just in football I think other interests as well over sports basketball there's question marks over funding with that and mm. their involvement in the British Basketball League and even stuff in the aviation industry all kinds of questions about them so it's up to them the emphasis is on them yeah to, to sort of um, to come out and state their case because these are legitimate concerns and otherwise you know the, the, the void is going to be filled by others and, and if nobody else is going to speak up for 777 I guess it's up for 777 to, to speak up for themselves Gav, we spoke before we come on air about you know the whole situation and the yeah. whole state of affairs. Yeah, is this a, another example? Probably the biggest example we probably ever needed that years of reckless spending and you know mitigating factors elsewhere that maybe Farah Fashiri couldn't control. They haven't find themselves in this position where yeah. the best alternative they've got is a group like Seven Seven to come along and take them. Yeah, you know, I was slightly concerned when Farah had said I've been spoke, speaking to other 
potential bidders and these mm. were the best. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, John Giles, great football of Republic of Ireland and Leeds said uh, once, and, and a great pundit and writer about the game said that the worst place for football is to be a big club with no or few options. Mm. And that's what we have been on and off the pitch for several years now, to be honest with you. And, and today is showing that we are certainly a club with very few options off the pitch because that's why we've ended up with 7-7-7, isn't it, really? And, um, and and I think that's it, you know, that, that it's, it's, it's testimony to, to where we are, that we are not going to... Uh, we're not going to attract blue chip bidders. That's why MSP was would would be would have been a good deal. That, that, yeah. For me, if you see the, compare MSP and Seven Seven Seven, and the, the people involved in MSP and their reputations and the type of people that they've dealt with and 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 have got access to and what you hear about them as individuals and compare the Seven 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 people. Um, you know, the two completely different stories there. And I get there's always grey areas in between within all that, but yeah, it, it, you are right. It, it is it is another example. It, it's, it's, you could argue it's the, let's hope it's the end game within all that, it could even become worse. But I, like a lot of others, were not exactly enamoured by the, the news this morning. Um, I get. I mean, there was an interesting poll I think on social media. Like, there was about half the fans said that let's just wait and see, mm. and and I get that. You know, there, there is past reputations, and, and you know, and there might be lessons learned there. And sometimes, if you are the biggest club in the multi cup group, you attract. You can that can be an advantage yeah. to you. That you will attract all the attention, all the resource within that group will be focused on on you. Which so there are, will be now with yeah, seven, which will be yeah, 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 absolutely. League. So there are there are advantages. The fellow who's they had the football was the fellow who built up Manchester City's group of foot, you know football, football group, group as well. So so there's there's no lack of knowledge there. You know, you could argue that compared to Farhad, there's more football knowledge than mm. Farhad. So I mean, there, there is there is glimmers of light there, but you can only judge from what you've heard and what you've read of people who. are Far closer to things than what I am, and you know, and Chris went through it through it all. There is is that the, there's reasons to to worry, and and what we don't want as a business at the moment is risk, mm. and we've got even more risk than what we had yesterday, as far as I'm concerned. Even allowing for Farhad, at least you know you sort of enemy for want of a better phrase with Farhad, what he operates at like and and so on. But with with these people, you, you just don't know, do you? And so it is definitely a um, definitely like a. a testimony to, to the way stuff has gone for the club over the last seven years we've, we've ended at this point and uh, let's hope it can build back up again from, from now Joe Farad said in his, his open letter to shareholders which was obviously published on the club's website that he believes foundations have been laid for a, a brighter future are there any positives to come from from this news today you know is it a case what Gav said there of some support of let's see what we can see what happens or are the warning signs already there before you know the the inks even dry on the the, the pieces of paper for well, the, the contract? Well, I mean, to, to use a phrase that we've already used several times, I think the, the reality is there are more questions than answers. Mm. You know, could could this work out all right? Yeah, you know, it may well be. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, as myself, this is someone that's called for change at, at the club and, and the course, way in which yeah. it's ran over the you know over the course of this year and at the beginning of the summer. You know, a fresh pair of eyes, new insight, you know, new vision is needed at that club. Mm. You know, in in some format, whether it just be new people on the board, new people who own it, you know, regardless. And I think, 
So, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's difficult to see how it could have been any worse over the past few years. It feels like every every criteria from which you would every every criteria from which you would judge the way in which Evans run, you would judge negatively over the past few years. And it'd be naive and it would be unfair of us to think that seven 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 didn't have a chance to do improve some, if not yeah. all of of those things. But you know, again, obviously this will bring hope and optimism that change might bring a change in Everton's fortunes. But from everything that we can see so far, you know, there's a lot to kind of, you know, there's, there's a lot to be nervous about as well. And it'd be nice to be able to kind of sit here and say something different, but you know, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be telling the, the truth if we did. That's yeah. not mean to, that's not to say that it can't work out, that it can't improve, you know, it may, it may well do. And I think that we, I think probably the one thing that we all have to kind of do, regardless of what your position may be on 777, I, I think we all have to acknowledge that the current situation isn't a particularly good one at the yeah. minute. And the, the current position also isn't really sustainable. Mm. And I think we knew that anyway from a kind of almost a political point of view, the, the current situation with who's running the club interim boards. Um, and that probably wasn't something that could have a long-term future. But I think increasingly, particularly when you see that the move has gone from you know selling steak to selling everything, mm-hmm. uh, when you look at the words of Fahad Mashiri, you know, in his statement today, when you look at the reality is that by doing this, you know, Farhad, Far, Far, it's it become clear that Farhad probably wasn't going to be able to leave a legacy on the pitch at Everton. But for some time, you've kind of thought, well, he might be able to leave the legacy of a new stadium. And, and that is a significant legacy. Yeah. You know, of course, that's, it's huge. A lasting legacy. Isn't a it? lasting legacy. Yeah. And, and like I said earlier, not just for the football club, but for the city, city region, the northwest, uh, the country. Um, so the fact that he's walked away from this now probably suggests to you that there are, there are wider financial concerns over what he can and can't do with the club going forward. You know, we've seen what's just happened in the transfer window. We haven't barely spent a coin at a mm. time when they could really do some. And that's having you know three consecutive windows where significant amounts of money have come in from player sales as, as well, whilst the, score, you know, the wage bill has been reduced at each each transfer yeah. window as, as well. So I think we have to kind of look at that and go, well, you know, the, there wasn't financial stability at the club anyway. It's not like Everton have gone from a position of stability to now uncertainty. They've gone from instability to, to uncertainty. And, and that also has to be recognised. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, it, the status quo probably isn't also su- sustainable. Chris, we will have plenty to say and we will be discussing 777 Farah Mashiri and everything off the pitch in the weeks to come and months to come because this I think is going to be a story that we were talking about for a long time but on the field Everton do return to action yeah. this, this Sunday Arsenal come to Goodison Park finally after the international break the Blues are back in action and it don't get much tougher now no, people have obviously pointed out <laughs> Sean Dyche's first game in charge as Everton manager was obviously the 1-0 win over Arsenal at a time when they we're top of the Premier League, unbeaten since the previous September in that competition. But yeah, I mean, snap your hand off for a repeat of that on, on, on Sunday, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, but my big concern is that those recent Everton wins over Arsenal have all been like in 
the depths of, of, of winter time and maybe the, the Gunners didn't fancy coming to Goodison on those occasions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's far too warm and sunny, maybe not so much just right at the moment, but it's yeah, this time of year. old-fashioned downpour on Sunday Yeah, maybe, maybe that might help. Um, but um, now, uh, actually, you know, if, if, if we just take it in isolation, there's hope that things could actually be turning a corner for Everton. It's, it's been a, a tough start for the season, would have expected more points from that and certainly from the performances they produced. But... Genuine options now up front with Calvert-Lewin back fit, a like-for-like alternative in Beto, prospect of him making his home debut after a couple of impro- um, impressive displays on the road there for him. Um, the way Dwight McNeil came back at Sheffield United his first game of the season, a great provider of goals as well, being last season's top scorer. And there is that, you know, genuine options in uh, across the, the pitch there, despite it being a, a small squad. So... You know, we know it's always going to be tough against Arsenal and you can't go into this expecting a result, but you, you've got you've got to hope that you know, Everton can start picking up sort of the points to, to back up those those early displays at some point and this would be a great time to start that. Gav, that's the big thing, isn't it, going into to Sunday? Obviously, you know, with probably the exception of, me, of, of Aston Villa and the first half of Doncaster, Everton's performances this season have actually been quite good, they've been quite positive. I, mean, I was talking to someone recently who's a non-Everton fan, but he actually said that he thought Everton would go down this season. He said, but yeah. he was actually more encouraged from the first chunk of games, having seen what they'd stay up oh. than what he'd seen in the summer because of, of the <laughs> performances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at some point, Everton have got to start getting points yeah. on the board because it's great having good performances, but it means nothing if your, your points tally doesn't change. The concern you've got there is the four Premier League games you played, the other team you faced as Villa, doesn't it? Yeah. That's the thing, isn't it? And being in my podcast, we're also bottom yeah, of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we visit there, so. Um, <laughs> so that's the concern when you talk about Arsenal. But as it's just funny, isn't it? I think, ironically, you're talking about Machiri. I think we've got more points against Arsenal at Goodison in the Machiri area than... Than any other, any other team. Yeah. Since 2017, is no, right? we got 16 points under Mashiri from seven matches, five wins, four, four. By put your money on, by the way, in the centre half score and the winner for us on uh, on Sunday. Centre half scored the winner for us four times in in that time. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I think yeah, I'd fancy our chances to get something on on Sunday. I think on the basis that we, I thought we played used to be okay against Sheffield United. I'm just wondering with the news today might sort of get the crowd going a little bit on uh, on Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully. And I would be, yeah, I think it would be a decent a decent game. I think Arsenal set pieces. I think is their problem, isn't it? Really, and that's why I'm yeah. showing at Goodison. You know, I think I'm not sure how many of them goals come from set pieces, but probably quite a few. Uh, yeah, three straight away. Yeah. Um, so I think you get at them with set pieces. But just, I'm, I'm thinking of Brantwaite on Sunday. You know, like that was decent game for him. You know, he's had two decent games against quality, quality strikers and runners from midfield. It's a real test about Brantwaite. You know, he's had like good, good yeah. press since he's come in the team. But this is the first time you, since he's come back that you're going to say, you know, really how good I am. That that's that's what I'd be insistent to say on on Sunday. But I think it's something to get a, get a, get something out of. Before we get to predictions, Joe, obviously the big the big Friday talking points as always on this podcast. Sean Dyche has got some real conundrums, hasn't he, this weekend? Because I'll, I'll talk about squads and players and everything else throughout the summer. But he's got some difficult decisions to make this weekend because he's got a few options in a few areas where he's not always had options. I think it's safe to say, certainly up front with Calvert-Lewin and, and Beto. Dominic Calvert-Lewin to start up front, Dan Gima on the left, McNeil on the right. That's what I think. No, no, be- no Beto? I, no, I don't think so. I Ooh. think... Uh, 
the fan favourite that, by Joel Thomas. I, I think I think there's a danger yeah. to a kind from a kind of almost a yeah, an optics perspective. I think with with Calvert Lewin being fit and him having led the line for so long, I think mm. that the I, I think he has to be given the benefit of the doubt. And obviously, he's a proven yeah. Premier League player, and he's let's be honest. I mean, he was a player who was hugely important to the win over Arsenal last season. Yeah, so, of course, yeah. you know, I, I think when the two are fit, the starting position probably has to be that Calvert Lewin is number one, mm. and then obviously you you give that opportunity to better to then compete and take it over him. Yeah, I mean, in yeah. the same way that I kind of think that. Sean Dyche, regardless of what he might have fought or may not have fought, I think that he had to start the season with Michael Keane at centre-back mm. ahead of Jared Bramfrey and then give Keane the opportunity to almost lose it. And yeah, I think yeah. he's probably got to do the same because in a small squad, like you, know, you look at the messages that it sends, you can't afford for, for key players to kind of, you know, to to feel hard done by um, or to feel slighted. Uh, and I think that's probably what they've got to do. Actually, you think better would also understand that why he might be second choice to, mm. from, as a starting point. I think ultimately, probably as just a result of you know, Calvert Lewin's you know, fitness issues, better will probably start a fair few yeah, games yeah. this season. But I think that's probably how you do it. But yeah, you're right. Obviously, he has got um, you know he ha- he has got decisions to make. That's good. He will hopefully have more decisions to make soon because you know, Jack Harrison isn't far away. And, and you know, and then you're looking beyond that. You've You've obviously got the likes of Coleman and that who, who could Dele come Alley, in. of course, as well. Yeah, Delhi. Delhi's still a way off. I mean, Coleman's still a way off as well. You know, Andre Gomez may be competing mm-hmm. in centre midfield. Dyche says he hopes that he stays and that he's got a plan for him for this season. So, you know, have to wait and see. Right, gents, we will do our predictions. I will kick things off and say 2-1 Everton. I'm prompted by Gav's little nudge there. Yeah. A Jared Brownfleet winner. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to go 1-0 uh, to, to to Everton. Uh, I'm gonna go uh, Calvert-Lewin header. Oh, there we go. I got it. I got to back it. I got to back yeah, up well, after yeah. that. And I, <laughs> you I mean, we, we, I mean, we got to, and we got to, we got to be positive. It's gonna be very, very difficult yeah. for Everton, but you know, why not? Why, why can't this game? It turned around last season. It was a hugely important game. Obviously, when they won two-one in that um, winter night, a couple of the season before yeah. with the Mari Gray's goal. Hopefully, they can do the same again. Yeah, I'm gonna generation in Seston off the pitch discussion with Joe by saying 1-0 Everton Beto to score (laughs) (laughs) no I'm going to go for 1-0 the final word is about you I'll say the same as uh, as Connor just because 7 add 7 add 7 is 2-1 21 2-1 Everton there you go alright that's how we work things out on the Royal Blue podcast it was a crazy prediction it's it's right there Uh, thanks very much for listening we will of course be back on Monday to review the game against Arsenal and of course go in more depth about Farhad's decision to sell his stake in Everton Football Club 277 but for today thanks very much for listening You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 